I'd like to read with you Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, please. The Gospel of Mark and chapter 8. Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> and verse number 36. For what shall it profit a man? That would be man or woman, anyone. And one rendering has that, or what does it matter? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or... What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I'd just like to read those two verses with you or to you again. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So I want to speak on tonight. I'm afraid that there's a lot of misgiving ideas about really what the soul is. The soul is you. To put it as simple as I can, the soul is you. The soul is a spiritual, not part of you, but the soul is you spiritually as you relate to God. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 that the first Adam was made a living soul. It says concerning Rachel, when she died, that her soul was in departing, the real person. Our bodies obviously relate to earth. Our souls, the real person, relates to eternity. And what makes the gospel meaning so important and so solemn is that you're going to last as long as God's going to last. That's forever. Something we can't comprehend. No, no preacher can really convey that. I, I don't stand here tonight and tell you that I understand the value of a soul, because I don't. Maybe I would preach different if I understood a little better than I do. But I do know this. There's only one that is worth listening to. And that is the one that paid the price to purchase it. Christ. When he died on Calvary's cross, he paid with his own life, shedding his own precious blood, the ultimate price to purchase you, or to buy you or me out of the slave market of sin. To save us from going down to hell. He's the only one that is worth listening to. Remember one time a man bought online at one of these big auctions a stamp. And he paid $97,000 for it. For just a single stamp. A postage stamp. Whatever kind it was, I'm not sure. The man that was bidding against him come to him after and he said, Was it really worth that? He says, It's worth that to me. It's worth that to me. So we're just going to consider tonight the value of a soul. When I went to Sunday school, same as some of you younger people did, we sung many, many songs. We sung songs to that were called action songs. You know, there are songs that were intended to keep our hands off our neighbor and quit poking him or whatever. So we had those songs like the wise man built his house and so on and very energetic songs. There's one song that we sang and I think you likely sing it too and there's no hand motions. Nobody stamped their feet. And really if you're thinking about it, nobody was smiling, nobody was laughing. One song in our children's hymn book. You know what that song was? goes like this. I have a soul to be saved. May this truth be engraved in my mind and my heart while I'm young. How awful a cost if my soul should be lost and in hell if I die as I am. Likely the most solemn hymn that is in our children's hymn book. A very, very true hymn tonight. 
So the verse says, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Not that it might be of much interest to you, but it just so happens to be that all these airliners you see coming in and out of New York airspace here and right down to the small ones have to file a flight plan. Flight plan. On that flight plan, they must enter into a little given box, whether they do it online or with a flight service station operator, whoever it might be, they must tell the operator how many souls that are on board. It's interesting. Never changed it. Not to this day, they don't say uh, how many persons, how many souls. I expect likely someday they will change it. There's a reason for that. I don't want to sound too morbid tonight, but some of these planes are actually carrying bodies. Someone has died somewhere. And often in the hold of those planes is a body. If that plane was to go down, they want to know how many people living were on that aircraft. On one occasion, I was following a flight plan. It was up in Sudbury, Ontario, right where uh, our son Alan's wife, Lila's folks, come from. And, uh, you know, just knowing the... I didn't have one of the flight plans in front of me. I just go off by memory and I'd give it to the flight service station operator. And I remember saying to him, uh, seven souls on board. And he said, uh, persons today. And I said, souls. Oh, he said, let's not be so technical, eh? I mean, I never met the man. Couldn't see him face to face. I was talking to him in a flight service station 200 miles away. I said, no souls. He's reached your point. I said, the souls are real persons, and that's how many... I said, that's that's, uh, souls, that's what it is when you slam into the granite, as he put it. No, no. I said, then you have bodies. Souls are living persons. You are a soul that lives in a body, and you will not always be in that body. You're going to come out of that body. If a person dies, that soul departs, just as depicted on this chart here. I mean, the grave tonight, there's believers and unbelievers. People that were saved and people that were lost. Their bodies are in the grave. Those that are saved are in heaven. They are with Christ. Those that are not saved are in hell. Not in a body. They are there themselves. All the sensations of a body. Because there's a man in Luke chapter 16. He is thirsting and there's different things that are happening that makes you understand that this man is conscious of a body. Coming day, that body will be brought out of that grave to meet with that soul that will come out of hell and they will stand at the great white throne of judgment. Okay? And I'm saying that for people in the meeting that have been asking these questions. From there, this will not be a judgment to determine where they're going to be or, or where they're going to be sent. This will simply to be to vindicate God. In other words, there is no arguments there. There's no plea. There's, there's, there's nothing there, my friend, that's going to, uh, where God is going to drop back and say, oh, you know, we, we did make a mistake here. You've been falsely accused. You shouldn't be here. Not going to happen, friend. The very fact that you will stand there is proof that you'll never be in heaven. And every charge that God ever had against you will simply be vindicated by God and you without saying a word. Every mouth is stopped will receive that ultimate sentence to be cast into the lake of fire. The purpose of the gospel meeting, friend, is this. That you may never have to go there. Never have to go there. So the Lord Jesus just said, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? A young medical student, one time he, he uh, talked to a preacher after a service. He said, i got to speak to you. He says, interesting. He said, uh, in my profession, he says, uh, We've uh, worked with a lot of parts of the body, he says, and I 
haven't seen a soul. Oh, he said, the preacher said, you haven't. He said, did you ever work on an eye? Yeah, he said, did. Did you see vision? No, he said, didn't yeah. Ever work on a brain? Yeah, he said, we did in fact. Did you ever see thinking? No, I didn't see that. Work on a heart? Yeah, he said, work on a heart many times. Did you see love? No. Now, I know we speak of love, we speak of the love of the heart, and that sort of thing, but friend, understand this. God is very clearly defining for you who you are tonight. You and I are fellow travelers, as we said, making our way through this planet called Earth, and we are not going to be here forever. Everybody here in this meeting tonight will be in heaven or in hell. Is that clear? No middle ground, no middle place, no middle class, on one road or the other. All born on this road, if a moment a person is born again, they come off this road onto this road. But why would I... Who should ever stand on the platform and tell people or preach to people the value of the soul that somehow didn't understand the value of their own? You see, a person that has come to trust Christ as their Savior, a person that has gotten saved, there was some day, some moment when they finally were awakened to the fact, wait a minute, I am going somewhere. I am going to be somewhere. And where am I going to be forever? The value of a soul. We, we live in a world of artificial values. We live in a world that knows more about prices than it does values. Come on, you're no different than I be. I am. You do not have to be my age to go into a store, pick up something, you look at it, you say, it's not worth that. But invariably, you don't necessarily put it back on the shelf. What determines whether you take it out of the store or not at any price? What determines that? The need that it meets. The need that it meets. I mean, if we were broke down along the freeway and uh, I needed a, let's say that I needed a 5 8 wrench to take the wheel off my car, and all I had was a 9 16 and a half, what would the value be of the right sized wrench? What would determine it? The need that it would meet. What determines the value? We live in a world of values. There's things that you have in your house I may not even know about them. They have values. Now, I want to think of it in that light. What determines the value of anybody's soul? Well, what determines the value of anything? The care and the attention we give it. I used to, where I used to live, out in a place called Norton, I had uh, farmers that lived on either side of me. There's one farmer, and he farmed. And you could have gone to meeting in his pickup truck. It was that clean. Whenever you saw his truck, it was clean. Inside, outside, and everything else. Another farmer had a pickup almost identical. But he carried everything inside his pickup and outside of his pickup. If a little hog or livestock had to be carried inside the cab, that's where it was. Didn't mean anything to him. It looked like it. Obviously, you looked at it and said, that man has some, the one man has some real care, care about his pickup. Look at the attention he gives it. Come on, these people around here with these expensive vehicles... Look at some of them. Others, it's just a means of transportation. But what determines the value of it to anybody is the care and the attention that we give it. Certain things we have in life, we give them much attention, right? Why? Because they can't be replaced. We live in a throwaway age. Something happens, you say, I get another one. Don't sweat the details. It's all right. Don't worry about it. Buy another one. Now when it comes to the soul, it is so hard 
to drive home to men and women the value of their soul in a world of artificial values. But I'm going to tell you something tonight, friend. Please. What you don't understand about the value of a soul now, you ultimately will. What you do not understand tonight about the value of a soul, ultimately, you will. When it's too late. When I were down these part of the country, and especially when I'm down in Manhattan, you know, it's amazing, the Dutch people even like Manhattan, or the Americans, because they sold Manhattan for $20,000 to this country. A few years later, they came back, the Dutch government, they said, uh, yeah, you know, well, the Americans cough up a little bit and they say, you got your check? <clears throat> you had a congressman by the, or senator by the name of Seward. S-E-W-A-R-D. He saw some value on a big track of land called Alaska. And his fellow senators, you know what they named it? Seward's Icebox. He said, don't even think of it. We're not interested in buying that piece of, you know what they called it? Frozen jungle. He kept pushing, kept pushing it. Then came the Civil War. It was put in the back burner. After the war is over, there are men that picked that up. Seward kept pushing it too. He says, we shouldn't buy that. The Russians want to sell it. They come to us and they've offered it to us. You know what they bought it for? To put it so you can understand it? 20 cents an acre. 20 cents an acre. And the Russians realized a little later on, hey, wait a minute now. I think we want some more money. And they came back to the USA. Hey, and they said, uh, think you can help us? They said, you got your check. Fair deal, isn't it? You know what that place is worth today? The resources, the oil, everything, the minerals that flow out of Alaska. When did the people that sold it realize the value of it? When it was too late? When it was too late, that golden coast along California, the, the poor Yaki Indians, the First Nations, they sold it to the Americans for beans. Just some beans. And they did the same thing. They said, we've been taken. Got their money. You see, friend, that's the trouble. That's the difficulty. If you don't wake up to the fact that I am a living soul that is going to be somewhere forever. Someone has paid a price so I wouldn't have to go to hell. Someone has paid the price to redeem me, to buy me. Now how much care and attention do you give to your soul? Let me give you credit. I, I hardly think you would have taken the time to come out to a meeting like this if you didn't somehow understand some value to your soul. Would you? I don't think so. I think I'd stay home and watch TV with the dog. Why would you come up on a nice evening like this and listen to the gospel? Because somehow there's an inkling that there's a value here that I've got to come to understand. If you don't, friend, you'll understand it when it is too late. The Lord Jesus, the prince of preachers, had the same issue, trying to convey to people the value of a soul. And somehow they didn't see these values. Oh, they could see a, a paralyzed man walking and a lame man uh, getting up and being able to carry his bed and so on. But the value of a soul? They couldn't understand. So what he did, he related it to the body. He said, if I, I offend thee, he says, um, take it out. Just cast it from thee. He said, and if I foot offend thee, he said, do the same thing. 
He said, if thy hand offend thee, cast it, cut it off. Now listen, he was not talking foolishly. He was not talking unnecessary amputation. Do you know what he was trying to get through to people? The value of the soul as they relate to the body, because we can only relate to the body. We can't relate to the soul. I mean, you think of it. What would you take for your hand? Really? What would you take for your hand? Well, let's go to small, even your finger. Suppose this finger. What would you really take for it? Quarter of a million? Buy almost what you want? Half a million? Would you? What would you take for it? You know the truth is? No money could buy it. Why is that? Because that's you. Because that's you. And said the Lord Jesus, that's just your body. He says, and it's going to have a time when it's gone. He says, fear not them that are able to kill a body and afterwards have no more that they can do, but I will forewarn you whom ye shall fear. Fear him that after he hath killed is able to take body and soul and cast them into hellfire. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. I have a very good friend of mine. Her name is Eileen Warden. Her and her husband, they live in Ontario. And Eileen went to see her doctor one day. She was having a little trouble with her arm. It's in the arm. Doctor did some x-rays and uh, different scans on it and requested she come back to his office. When she walked into his office, she could tell just the look on that doctor's face something's wrong here. And before she wanted to sit down, he said, she said, what kind of news have you got for me? Or something to that effect. He said, best you sit down first. He said, Mr. Warden, I'm not sure you're prepared for this. But the news isn't good. And he says, I think you'll have to have surgery on your, on your arm. And he said, I might as well tell you now that we'll save as much as we can of it, but there's a good possibility you could lose your whole hand, maybe part of your arm. He says, how long do you want to think about that? He says, time's an essence. Well, she says, I have a couple of doctor friends and I'd like to consult them. He said, you do that by all means. He said, I wouldn't discourage you from not doing that. So she contacted Dr. Higgins down here and there's another doctor back in Canada she contacted. And they just said, well, you've got to go with what they're telling you. If they're telling you that, Eileen, that's likely the route you're going to have to go. Pretty hard, eh, to lose your hand. She went into surgery. And the nurse that was attending her in the recovery room came to see her on the floor. Said, you're Mrs. Warden. This is after she'd come to it. Yeah, I am. She said, you were very interesting in the recovery room today. She said, I work in this. That's where I work, in the hospital here in London. She said, what do I do? Well, tell me. She said, I say something? No, no, no. She says, I'll tell you what happened. She says, your arm bandaged up. She says, you turned over and you... You couldn't focus on it, but you saw the end of your fingers and you said out so everybody could hear, Thank God, I still have my hand. The value of the hand. What about the value of the soul? What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I should maybe tell you the rest of the story of my friend Mrs. Warden. She did have to have her hand amputated because of this cancer maybe about three years after that I'd been in their house, stayed in their home and saw that woman make her way I was going to say navigate through a kitchen with one hand, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of effort we take so much for granted I'm sorry to say I don't know if I've ever said this publicly before 
after sitting at their table maybe for about um, a week, I woke up and realized I likely could help the lady if I buttered her toast. We take so much for granted. The value. You see, there's things in our life, my friend, we don't value them till we lose them. I mean, I don't, that's not rocket science. You didn't come in the hall to be informed of something like that. You know that. But why are you not saved tonight? Why are you not saved? I was to give you a piece of pen and paper and say, write down why you are not saved. Well, among many things, is you've never woken up to uh, been awakened to the fact of the value of your soul. As we were telling somebody yesterday when we were visiting them, there's no such thing. There's a lot of things you can get a second run at in life. I mean a profession in life, for example. I had a friend of mine and the family told him they were school teachers. They just said to him, Lloyd, gotta teach school. He's got to be a school teacher. Well, the family school teachers. And he hated every minute of it. Hated it. Kathy Procopio, I don't know if she wanted me to tell you this or not, but uh, she was always told she's brilliant in math. She was told that she should be a math teacher. She wasn't sure she wanted to be a math teacher, but everybody said she should be a math teacher. And she taught math in the high school for a little while and hated it, despised it. Was glad when it was over. Got a chance at something else. My friend, you can get a second run at professions in life. There's a lot of things in life you can get a second run at if you fail the first time. Fail in business? Some of the most successful people we have back where I live once failed. But not this. Not this, friend. Understand. The Bible says, it's appointed unto man once to die, after this the judgment. There is no such thing as slamming into the pillar of death and go, Ooh, wait a minute. I didn't understand this. It wasn't clear. It is clear, friend. It's very clear. The difficulty is to face it, isn't it? Isn't that the difficulty is to face it? Whenever I think of something like this, I think of um, some would know Mr. and Mrs. John Klingon that labor for the Lord in Nicaragua. Andrew certainly knows them. Joanne was raised in a Christian home. We were having meetings in Toronto. I stayed at my brother-in-law's. And uh, I get up fairly early in the morning. This morning, I was just getting up. My brother-in-law knocked at the door. He said, there's somebody downstairs who wants to see you. I said, who wants to see me? He says, Joanne wants to see you. She's been here all night. He says, she came in late last night. She just slept downstairs. But she's coming up to the main level and wants to see you in the living room. So I went in and there was a girl and she looked like she'd been up all night. It had been a long night. I went, I said, Joanne, what's your trouble? Because I always thought Joanne was saved. I always thought she was a nice sort of a person. Didn't really ever question it. She said, I need to be saved. I said, well, good that you found that out. Why do you need to be saved? Well, she says, I need to be saved. Because obviously she says, I want to go to heaven. I don't think I've asked anybody. Very seldom I get people to read verses when I'm there. I usually give them verses and say, go and read them. You get this settled with God. I've always found that works the best. That particular day I said, I've got one verse for you to read. One verse. She what do you want me to read? I said, Psalm 9 and verse 17. She thumbed over. Found Psalm 9 and verse 17. Just read that verse to me. She read it. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. I said, do you find one word? Do you know one word in that verse that describes you? You know what she said? I remember she laughs when she thinks about today. She says, I suppose you want me to say wicked. I said, you can say what you like. She says, as she drew herself back, I just don't think I'm that bad. You don't either, do you? 
God says you are. God says you are wicked. So I said, that isn't you. Which I don't see it. I closed my Bible. I said, Joanne, I've got no more to say to you. I'm going to pray and you can go home. That's exactly what we did. Prayed and she went home. Got saved the next morning. You know what she came to realize? That God is true. What God says is absolutely true. And if God says that you're taking something, lady, in place of your soul, that's what's happening. Dear girl, and he says you're in a trade-off for something that you think is more important in your soul, that's what's happening. He says, what shall it profit a man? If he should gain the whole world, now i got to admit, I used to think as a kid, I used to try to imagine gaining the whole world. No, no, that's not what it means. You know what it means? Just whatever occupies you that would be your world. We have grandchildren for any sake of they got a little blanket. It's their world taken from them. They can't sleep. Their whole world is wrapped up in a old piece of whatever that's been cut and washed and sewed. But that's their world. You laugh at it. So do I. Your world is just as ridiculous if it's taking you down to hell. What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world or lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What are you taking tonight? What are you taking dear for your soul? Something. There is something or someone. Something or someone that stands between you and salvation. Now I know it is your sin. The Lord Jesus talked to a woman one time in John chapter 4 and he said, uh, I will call your husband. Oh, look how my husband. You know what she said later on? As she admitted to him? Her guilt? She said to her, those that she knew, she said, Come and see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? He brought to her attention one sin. But in that one sin was what was keeping her from salvation. Now you might be living an absolute moral life. Good for you. There's something that stands between you and salvation tonight. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? So we've established something. The value you put on anything is the care and the attention that you give it. I have to... I, I know I'm smiling, but... I'm really not into expensive clothes. You wouldn't be around me too long to know I'm not into expensive clothes. And the way I carry them sometimes, they crumpled up in the back of the airplane. You likely don't understand that. But I have fellows that brethren, some preachers that travel with me, and oh my, my. you think it was their pet inside the suit bag suffocating. They hardly get to the house and the God knows got me hanging up. Well, maybe it might look the other way around, but that's just the way they are. It's very important to them. They didn't buy their suits at Value City like I did for $79. But that's important to them. You know what else determines the value of anything? How long it'll last. How long it'll last. I mean, if something isn't going to last, it's run its course. But my friend, as I've said before, this is going to last forever. So you're sitting in me and saying, this all sounds very good, okay? And you're ready to concede, which is true, I haven't been giving my soul the care and the attention I should. Let me ask you, this is an open class. If I was to ask you how you would know someone was giving care and attention to their soul, how would they do that? Had nothing to do with their combing their hair. Has nothing to do with what they want. How does a person give care and attention to their soul? You know how they do it? They read the manual. 
They read this book called the Bible and they find out from God what God has got to say about the soul. How it was made. How it will last. Where it will be. You see, there are certain things that are very important. And I, and, uh, you know, I'd be the first to admit to you that uh, I likely don't read manuals until things break down. Then I go looking for the manual. But obviously in that manual somewhere, it tells you how that thing runs. My friend, this book tells you tonight like no other book. This book speaks to a part of you nothing else does. Nothing else can. Because it's a message from God. God has a message that doesn't speak to your body. It speaks deeper than your ear. It speaks to your soul, your innermost part. And you know what God says tonight? Don't you miss it. Whatever happens, don't you miss heaven. Don't die in your sins. Because there's no coming back. There's no second chance at it. So two things we've established. How long will it last? Okay? The care and the attention I give it. Another thing is, what will it yield in the coming day? Okay, this is what I buy it for now. What will it be worth then? Then. <laughs> Our boys had a piece of property. It was really the last corner lot. I know this price is going to sound so ridiculous up here. You'll think we live in a jungle down there. We don't really. Okay? Somebody's asking how our snow is doing. Our weather's as good as yours, by the way. Okay? But, there's a corner lot in front of their business. I said, boy, so you should be buying that lot. Yeah, yeah, you're buying a lot. Mr. Percy Landon came along to them and offered to them, he said, I want $25,000 cash. I said, guys, we bought a lot. And good for them. We bought a lot of tents last year. This is maybe 10 years ago. And they said, uh, you know, that's $25,000. For that lot? Anyhow. Somebody else bought it. Then 10 years later, they said, you know, we should buy that lot. So they went and found the fellow that owned it. He now wanted $69,000 for it. They tried every game possible. They had one of their friends go and try and buy because he they thought they got their spot. He just knows who they are. He's gonna hold his price. No, that's my price, sixty nine. You know what they pay for? Sixty nine thousand dollars. What's it worth today? Since they claimed it? They had it two days. And a big company came in, offered them whatever the price wanted, they would sell it. They said, come on guys, you didn't want to buy it? Sell it. No, no. I said, well, think, well keep it. Well, why are they doing that? They're not really out of room. Why are they doing that? You know why they're doing that. They're projecting that what the value of that might be in the coming day. There's a man by the name of Esau. I think I referred to him last night in the meeting. He came in from the world. Came in from the field and says, the Lord Jesus taught the field was the world and he's faint. He just saw a pool of stew. And uh, he says to his brother, he says, give me that. He says, uh, I'm at the point of death. And, uh, well, he said, sell me this day your birthright. So he just sold it, just sold it away. The regret that must be now. The regret. I have to think of people that whatever they didn't understand about gospel preaching, what they heard in the gospel, whatever they didn't understand from the Bible, not that they had to hear me. It's all very vivid right now. Very, very vivid. So, again, let's come back to you say, okay, what can I do if I realize, which I do, that I've neglected this? No, my advice to you, my dear friend, you go to this book. You admit to God that you have neglected something that you should never have neglected. We were just talking about that today, how people neglect the body. How people abuse their bodies. They don't realize the value of it. Till they've lost something. Don't wait till it's too late. 
and get down to business before God and confess to Him and repent of your sin and trust His Son. Look away to the only assessor that's worth living, listening to, the Lord Jesus Christ, who paid the ultimate price at Calvary. He understood the value. Understand, I don't tonight. Only from the Word of God. He understood the actual, literal value of your soul and He paid the price so you could be saved. Suppose you had a at least back our way, it works this way. So most times you got tough and you said, I'm going to sell my car. So you decide you go down to the local dealer, you pick up the newspaper, and you see in Burger County, here's what, uh, you know, a 2002 Plymouth or Buick is selling for. And you think, that's what I got. And you go down to the dealer and you say to him, I want to sell my car. Oh, he says, we'd like to buy your car, that's fine. What do you think you should get for it? Well... You know, I see this, oh, that's what they're selling for. Well, that's kind of the asking price. You will not be talking to him too long. And you know what he's going to do? He says, I'm going to have a look at the red book value. And he reaches into his desk and he pulls out a red value. He said, uh, what were you hoping to get for your car? He said, well, I want to get $5,000. I said, how about a check for 2600 Could you live with that? 2600 You know what he says? That's what the book says. Understand? This is what the book says. This is the black book for eternity. And I'm not talking about the colors of the cover. This is the black book for eternity. This says that there's nothing in this world you could ever have your hand on, you could ever own, that could be part of yours, or you could be part of that, that is worth more than your soul. So says the Lord Jesus, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Mr. George Washington said on one occasion, few people, few people are able to resist the sharpest bidder. My friend, there's somebody else that's bidding on your soul tonight and he doesn't have a diamond invested in it. As far as you're concerned, you're like goods on the shelf of a merchant, like cans of beans. He's all, all he's interested in what he make off of them. It's called the devil. You know how what he has invested in you tonight? A lie. Because he's a liar. He's a father of lies. And he tells you the gospel will be like this. Don't stop preaching. A minute, he's done. Don't listen to that. No, friend, you don't have to listen to me. You listen to God. What shall it profit a man? If you gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whatever you do, friend, whatever you do, don't you make a mistake here that you will have eternity to regret. But the Bible says be wise and choose life and live.